Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. Today, I want to talk about a tale of two cities, two cities in crisis. One city was known as Happy Valley. In the Happy Valley, at one time, there was an illustrious leader who led his troops into battle on the gridiron for a half century. Tradition and integrity were something that were central to this leader. This leader and his program were renowned throughout the land until one dark day when allegations of the most troubling nature came out. Far west of the Happy Valley was the Jewel of the Brazos, And in this kingdom, there was another football program. And in this kingdom, there was a rising leader and a rising group of young men on the gridiron that were showing the same sorts of traits as the storied program in Happy Valley. And just as these young men and their leader were on the cusp of making it all the way to the top of the heap, it all came crumbling down. I am, of course, speaking about what's happened at Penn State and at my alma mater, Baylor University. But here is where the stories, at least to date, diverge. In this tale of two cities, two programs, two illustrious universities, there was a fork in the road after these terrible allegations were discovered. And what happened next in both of these stories shows a difference of opinion and a difference of, to my mind, effectiveness in how you handle issues of governance, compliance, and ethics. In both of these cases, the physical well-being of young people and serious allegations of some of the most serious crimes against individuals were alleged. In both cases, there are indications that the staff, coaches, and others in the administration of these organizations were apprised of at least some of the allegations. And in both cases, these allegations had to go outside the organization before significant actions to reform governance, compliance, were taken. In both Happy Valley and Waco, the governing authority of both organizations commissioned an investigation. The Board of Trustees for Penn State commissioned an independent investigation by former FBI Director Louis Free. And very importantly at the time, the trustees of Penn State announced that when the Free report was to be released, It was going to be released simultaneously to both the trustees in the university and the public without being reviewed by the school's general counsel. This was an acknowledgement by the board of trustees that transparency was important and necessary at the time to save the university's reputation. This stands in stark contrast to what we've seen so far from Baylor University and the board of regents. And as I've suggested in the past when talking about controversies such as this, let's take the Board of Regents at their word. But they're concerned about issues of privacy and providing the best possible environment for the victims in this case. While there are ways to go about that that don't include receiving only verbal findings and having this drip, drip, drip of information that satisfies no one, including those victims. Back in Happy Valley, when the report was released in the summer of 2012, it was not the best look for Penn State and the university's authorities. It found that Coach Paterno, the former president of the university, and other officials showed a stunning lack of concern 
about the victims in the case. And according to the Free Report, these administrators failed in their fundamental duty to ensure that people, including children, were safe on the university's campus. Penn State's trustees took a serious leap of faith to allow the report to go forward so independently and to allow the results to be released independently. But I think that they made the right call. And I think that the results so far in the Baylor University scandal that continues to go on and on with no abatement shows that they have, at least so far, made the wrong call. But we all must understand, and I certainly understand, that the Board of Regents at Baylor have received advice to do this. Advice probably from the firm that conducted the internal investigation, but probably other attorneys and advisors as well. They're acting on advice. They're not just doing this on their own accord. But what this response from the Baylor community and various groups ought to show the Board of Regents is that they need to be getting advice from other sources as well. And it's also important to remember that there wasn't a universally positive response to the free report and its conclusions. There were many Penn State alums and others who felt at the time, as you might recall, that Joe Paterno and others received a raw deal. Does that sound familiar? Certainly it does. That's what we're seeing now in the Baylor community. The difference is you had the free report. You had 267 pages of information that detailed the failures of not only Mr. Paterno, but many others within the Penn State organization. And ultimately, most people are satisfied. If still disappointed and saddened by the result, we cannot have any such conclusion so far with what's happened at my alma mater. It's saddening. It's saddening not just for the victims in this case, that their interactions with the university with regards to these allegations have not been made clear. It's sad for those who want to support the coach and the others who have been disciplined or let go, but don't have any basis one way or the other to make any, con any kind of reasonable conclusion. No one is served by the current state of affairs. 267 pages of detailed information about many years of allegations and actions taken and actions not taken were detailed in the free report. What did we see from the investigators, the independent investigators in the Baylor University investigation? So far, 13 pages of purported findings of fact from the regents, from the university itself, regarding the oral report from Pepper Hamilton. And within these findings of fact are some pretty stunning allegations that talked about things like the university lacking a proactive compliance function that would have identified the nature of the risks attendant to sexual and gender-based harassment and violence and interpersonal violence. And in other words, there seemed to be a lack of a compliance program. But there aren't any specifics about how these conclusions were reached by the law firm. It also called the response to these incidences as being completely inadequate. And there is some detail about the lack of hearings and inconsistencies in the application of the Title IX process. But again, with no specificity to a particular case or progress of a case. There is discussion of other specific elements of a compliance program, including inadequate training, but again, not much specific discussion about what the inadequacies were. And there's also some discussion about specific failings and barriers within the athletics department as it relates to effective implementation of Title IX, but compliance in general, if you read it. 
But again, specifics are lacking. And that's not surprising given that it's only a 13-page document. And presumably it's a summary of some oral statement that was given by Pepper Hamilton because this is coming directly from the university and not from the investigators themselves. Separately, Pepper Hamilton did provide a 10-page listing of recommendations for the board moving forward. Many of these recommendations will be familiar to compliance professionals. They're pretty straightforward, but they're completely devoid of context because there hasn't been a thorough, independent discussion of what led to these recommendations. For instance, there are recommendations such as create a culture within the football program that ensures that reporting, investigation, and disciplinary actions involving student athletes and athletic department staff are managed in the same manner as all other students on campus. In other words, organizational justice, organizational culture. Those are very important concepts, but devoid of context, devoid of understanding where the breakdowns are and have been in the past, it's hard to know what the successful implementation of those sorts of initiatives would be. You're not just going to throw it at the wall. Again, as compliance professionals, we know that the expectations for regulators and the expectations for stakeholders out there, whether they be students looking for a safe environment or whether they be alums like myself expecting my university to do the right thing, is that those reforms be risk-based and be appropriate to the organization. If you look at these 10 pages of recommendations, some of them might be completely on point, but you have no context by which to judge these recommendations. And given the lack of transparency, some of, if not all of these recommendations are going to be very difficult to judge implementation on. For example, some of the recommendations around the board of directors, including reviewing considerations and standards for new board membership, including conflicts of interest, which is very important, and implement due diligence standards in the selection of board members? Well, so far there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of transparency even on the basics around this particular incident, let alone board composition and training and selection. The other thing that is particularly interesting about these recommendations is that they are, and not surprisingly, very Title IX focused. But I would suggest that the greater failure here at the board level and throughout the administration, at least an obvious failure, is that of good governance, transparency, and consistent compliance and ethical culture. If you focus only on Title IX, you might end up with a paper program that addresses Title IX concerns to the minute detail, particularly with the help of law firms like Pepper Hamilton and others that will put that together for you. But if that doesn't fix the underlying cultural problem that you have at the organization, then it's all for naught. So the problem that I see with these recommendations as they are, again, devoid of any context, and the lack of a overall investigation that looks into the broader issues of governance and compliance and ethics is that you may solve or think you have solved the quote-unquote Title IX problem, but that does not address the underlying issues of governance, compliance, and ethics at the organization. There is a problem at the university. It has been exhibited through these sexual assaults and alleged sexual assaults that have occurred, but there is a broader issue of governance and compliance. For example, one of the recommendations in the Pepper Hamilton recommendations is that 
the organization, that Baylor University, have a chief compliance officer. You heard that right, compliance professionals. Prior to a couple months ago, my alma mater, Baylor University, a major university in the state of Texas, did not have a chief compliance officer. You're not going to turn this ship around overnight, and you're not going to turn this ship around in the dark. Back in Happy Valley, the fallout was contentious. Again, I think it's easy to forget that there was a hue and cry about the treatment that, in particular, Joe Paterno received. And there was some pushback, just as we've seen pushback at Baylor with regards to Coach Bryles. But again, the difference was you had 267 pages detailing all of the reasons. So people demanding fairness for Paterno had a much tougher hill to climb than those demanding fairness for Coach Bryles at this point. Now, it might be that if there was an independent report, Coach Bryles would come out very differently than he has so far through the intermittent drip, drip, drip that's come out of the verbal report from Pepper Hamilton so far. And it may not be, but we don't know. That's the key thing. But the ultimate fallout for Penn State is that two years after the free report was released in the summer of 2012, after the NCAA took the report as its basis for sanctions, pretty severe sanctions, by the way, against the university, in 2014, based on their efforts to reform the governance and compliance structure at Penn State, to be transparent, to be open about what had happened and what their plans were for the future, the NCAA came back. And the happy news in Happy Valley was that many of those sanctions were lifted in just two years. Now, in 2016, almost 2017, we look at Penn State, the taint of that scandal is still there. There's no escaping it. But for the most part, the university and certainly the football program, which was a win or two away from being in the college football playoff this year, has recovered. I think there's no doubt about that. And the school is well on its way to mending its reputation and moving forward in a positive way. Now, do any of us think that Baylor University is even close to that? The outside group, Bears for Leadership Reform, have suggested that there needs to be an independent report done. And I would suggest that that is at least a good starting point. There's been calls for the board to resign or members of the board to resign. I think that at least a first step for this board would be to acknowledge that the report as it was done is not sufficient. It's not consistent with what we saw with a similar set of circumstances at another university. We can go down the road that we've been going down with the drip, 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 and inconsistent and unsatisfactory information being provided to the Baylor community and Baylor alums and our community at large. Or we can heal the rift. And only the Board of Regents can do that in the near term. This can be a long, drawn-out battle. There's been some talk of a lawsuit. It doesn't need to go there. The Board of Regents can do what they should have done in the first place, order an independent report, keep their hands and the administration's hands off that report, stop trying to manage this problem insularly. That is a mistake. 25 years ago, I graduated from Baylor University, and I owe a lot 
to the institution and the education that I received there. The school has changed a lot in 25 years. I hardly recognize it. I'm sure I'm not the only alum that goes back and marvels at the changes. But what we don't want to change at Baylor and what we want to continue is that light of integrity. And I would suggest to the Board of Regents that the light of integrity for Baylor University is flickering. It's flickering. We all see it. And it doesn't need to. That light need not go out. The university that we love need not go into the darkness. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.